0: Welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. This podcast is a project for the ABA section of dispute resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. This week, I'm sitting with attorney Donnie Schwartz to discuss arbitrating cryptocurrency disputes. Some of the topics we'll touch on include what is cryptocurrency? What are some of the disputes related to cryptocurrency that end up in arbitration? How are cryptocurrency disputes different from other types of financial disputes? Is cryptocurrency a true currency or a speculative investment vehicle? What happened at FTX? Do other cryptocurrency exchanges face similar risks? Will more traditional financial services corporations enter the cryptocurrency exchange marketplace? And for neutrals who are interested in learning more about cryptocurrency and how it works, what resources are available to them? Donnie Schwartz is a partner at Wachtel Misery in Manhattan. He is a commercial litigator and arbitrator whose practice focuses on real estate, business, cyber, blockchain, and crypto disputes. He is a member of the American Arbitration Association's panel of commercial arbitrators, the FINRA panel of arbitrators, and has been appointed as an arbitrator in more than 50 cases, including many involving crypto matters. Donnie served three consecutive years as co-chair of the Domestic Arbitration Committee of the New York State Bar Association and as a member of the executive. He has been selected as a New York super lawyer or super lawyer's rising star every year from 2013 to the present and was elected as a lifetime fellow of the New York Bar Foundation. He has written a number of articles on novel issues in the law that have been published in the New York Law Journal and elsewhere He is a frequent speaker and lecturer on topics in real estate, arbitration, cyber, blockchain, and cryptocurrency matters. Donnie most recently spoke on blockchain and cryptocurrency disputes at the New York State Bar Association's annual meeting. Um, So I just wanted to say, um, you know, before we uh, get get started, um, just a quick disclaimer that we are not giving any legal advice or financial advice on this podcast session, uh, nor accusing FTX of any wrongdoing. Any mention of FDX is from previously reported new services. Next Level Mediation Software is a mediator's best tool for advancing their online dispute resolution practice. It takes into account the psychological attitudes of the disputing parties and helps mediators find the key priorities to negotiate. Based on decision science and an easy-to-use interface, The Next Level Mediation platform can handle the most complex disputes. Register today at nextlevelmediation.com for your complimentary 30-day trial of the subscription service and enter the code A, B, A, discount, 20 for a 20% discount.
1: So uh, welcome, Donnie. (laughs) Thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, Very pleased to to be here and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to discuss the issues that you mentioned, which are uh, obviously more and more in the news, becoming more, more prevalent in, uh, in our society and in our uh, marketplaces.
0: Very good. All right. So I know we're we're making this maybe super basic for certain folks that aren't super familiar with cryptocurrency. And, and uh, if you are a cryptocurrency expert listening to this podcast, it might sound a little bit remedial, but let's just start with the very, very basics. What is cryptocurrency?
1: Sure, Uh, generally speaking, cryptocurrency, which people refer to as with the shorthand crypto, is a digital currency in which transactions are verified and records are maintained permanently by a decentralized computer network system that uses cryptography, rather than by a centralized authority like a government or a bank. So instead of carrying cash, which we recognize as physical printed paper currency on your person. Cryptocurrency is generally not tangible. So you can store it in accounts on crypto exchanges, in things called virtual wallets and the like, and you'll have a digital record of your holdings, similar in concept to an online bank account. Um, And just as with traditional What's called fiat currency, you know, paper dollar bills and so forth that we all recognize. Uh, you can buy and sell goods and services with cryptocurrency, provided, of course, that the, the counterparty in any transaction will
0: accept it. Okay, very good. Yeah, and it's important to mention that it's not crypto; uh, it's not fiat currency backed by a, a central government authority, and that seems to be, um, you know, one of the big issues when it comes to some of the issues going on with some of the crypto wallets as far as uh, these, these accounts are not FDIC insured uh, in any way. So essentially, if uh, you, the organization that um, uh, provides your wallet um, goes under, uh, you might be um, at, out of options as far as uh, recovering uh, your crypto uh, or, the, or the cash value for it. What are some of the disputes related to cryptocurrency that end up in arbitration?
1: Well, we've seen and are seeing a variety of disputes, including unauthorized theft or conversion of cryptocurrency from an exchange or a wallet. Uh, That can be done by hacking, by various sophisticated forms of uh, phone porting. Um, We're seeing efforts to impose liability on the exchange provider uh, and the internet services provider, essentially, in that case, the phone company, claiming, "Hey, my phone was hacked. I had uh, uh, cryptocurrency holdings that were accessible through my phone through an app or, or what have you. I didn't do anything to compromise the security of my phone, but it was compromised, and now a lot of a lot of uh, cryptocurrency that I was holding that has a lot of value in dollars is gone." It's disappeared. I don't know how to get it back. Somebody's got to pay for this to make me whole, and I'm looking at you, phone company or exchange provider. Um, your security was deficient. Your fraud prevention and loss mitigation policies were inadequate, and you're responsible. That that that's a um, a, a type of uh, case that is is uh, coming up more and more frequently, and because it can be so difficult to track missing or disappeared or stolen cryptocurrency and retrieve it, or even just to freeze it, um, owners who have experienced hacks um, that resulted in the disappearance of their crypto, they need to find someone that has funds and can be connected to the losses through a viable legal theory. So plaintiff's lawyers or claimant's lawyers in arbitration parlance are asserting legal theories that are based on telecommunications laws, securities regulations, privacy laws, and of course contract law and common law. So there's a lot of room for creative lawyering because the legal landscape in cryptocurrency uh, quite obviously is not as well settled and uh, uh, aged as say more traditional forms of uh, financial disputes. Um, Although, of course, the legal landscape uh, in traditional uh, finance disputes is evolving all the time as well. Um, And then the final case or type of case that I just wanted to note was uh, there was a dispute in which the respondents or the defendants um, allegedly uh, temporarily displaced the authentic blockchain, which is akin to the master financial ledger of all transactions, holdings, and accounts. So they displaced that authentic ledger or blockchain with a sham or an inauthentic blockchain, a, a sham ledger that they control and that they determine the inputs and, and what it said on that ledger. So the allegations were that they created fake forms of cryptocurrency, deposited them into an exchange Used the sham blockchain implant, the, their sham ledger implant, as the proof or the backup, or um, as my daughter would say, the receipts to demonstrate the validity of their tokens or currency. And then they traded or exchanged their seemingly authentic uh, currency with users who traded authentic cryptocurrency for them. So it's very, I hope that made sense. It's very impressive, frankly the allegations amount to, you know, one of the most sophisticated frauds that I've ever encountered. It's fascinating, at least to me. And so one of the overarching legal questions for cases like, like that one is, are these claims just garden variety fraud with an ultra modern face? Or do we need to consider new legal paradigms and frameworks here? So again, I. I think there are some really fascinating disputes in this area.
0: Yeah, you said a couple of things that I, I just wanted to touch on that really do make uh, crypto disputes um, unique. So I, I think the assumption that a lot of folks have is uh, if I have an issue with crypto and I need to file an arbitration against somebody, uh, I'm going to go after one of the exchanges or I'm going to go after one of the wallets. Um, but you mentioned, for example, um the security issues with your ISP, right? And maybe it's not necessarily the the wallet or the exchange's fault, the particular situation, but you're right, there was a security issue with the ISP and then you you would, the ISP would be the respondent. I think that's that's unique. And then the other different types of respondents that might not be directly involved in, in, in crypto as well. I think it's interesting, I was noting in your background uh, that you're also an arbitrator on the FINRA panel, um, which I guess leads into my next question. Um, you know, uh, how are cryptocurrency disputes different from other types of financial disputes? Sure. And Um, actually, uh, just not to cut you off, but before we go into that, maybe do a a quick uh, definition of uh, of who FINRA is and kind of what they do for folks that might not be familiar with FINRA.
1: Sure. FINRA is a regulatory authority of essentially the stock market. So it regulates uh, brokers, broker-dealers is the, the technical term, but in layman's parlance, essentially, uh, uh, people who have uh, who believe they they have been aggrieved or who have disputes relating to investment advisors, um, brokers, investments that have been made, and also even interbroker disputes like employment disputes, where a broker um, wants uh, claims that uh, his or her employer. You know, deprive them of commissions or 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 something of that nature. So that is the regulatory body that determines those kinds of disputes through arbitration
0: and it, I guess it should be should be mentioned that uh, um you, you know most of the the, the wallets and the crypto exchanges are not like traditional brokerages, which are finRA members. Most of them are outside of FinRA and FinRA's purview. So, want to speak to that for a minute
1: that's right and that's i mean i I know we're going to get to ftx uh in a little bit but you know that that's one of the controversies that has arisen is the status of regulation of cryptocurrency and crypto exchanges um and, and you know as compared to long settled and still evolving but but firmly entrenched regulations for traditional financial markets
0: right so, you know, a, a, a typical FINRA dispute, for example, uh, might be my money manager, stockbroker, whatever you want to call them, finan- financial advisor, um, it, uh, took my money and invested it in, in in various risky securities or whatnot that weren't appropriate for my age or my investment goals and whatnot and, and lost all my money. And now I'm going to file an ar- arbitration against them. And uh, it'll go through the the finRA process and and you know just see what's what's recovered on the other end or possibly they they'll, they'll lose out on their claim um and the uh, the uh, financial representative will be um, um uh, cleared so in in crypto um how does it differ I guess from other financial disputes in that sense
1: um well I think first the the universe of people who have, even a rudimentary understanding of cryptocurrency is much smaller than the universe of people who have, say, a rudimentary understanding of traditional financial service disputes. So I would start there. And then the as a subset of that, the universe of lawyers who understand the subject matter and can make sophisticated arguments about these disputes is obviously still smaller. So that's a personnel difference, but I think it's a difference that matters. And in fact, I've had uh, cases—not crypto cases, other kinds of cases—with some of the smartest lawyers that I've ever come across. Really, you know, truly, uh, people who, whose brain power is very impressive. And you know, they hear the word if I if I bring bring it up, they hear the words cryptocurrency or anything blockchain, anything related to that, and they just kind of say, "I don't understand. I guess I'm not smart enough. I don't understand it." So the universe of people who who get it. Um, is today uh, much smaller than uh, the universe of people in traditional financial service disputes. Uh, then you have a relative dearth of legal precedent in crypto as compared to traditional financial legal disputes, which I mentioned, because that body of law in banking law and, and you know equity markets and things like that has evolved over decades and frankly, centuries. Uh, because, and the law is generally a tortoise, not a hare. So it's always chasing the latest developments. Um, but in, in crypto, it uh, seems like it got a late start. And that doesn't help when it's slow to begin with. Not necessarily uh, saying that there is a magical uh, regulatory regime that can just be placed atop the crypto edifice. Uh, I don't think so. But um, the, 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 Developments on the ground are always going to outpace the law. And I think that that uh, trend is particularly uh, notable in crypto disputes. And then where disputes involve highly technical issues that are at the cutting edge of technology and the cutting edge of law, um, it's important that you make sure, you know, the parties need to be sure that their decider, whether they're in court and it's a judge or in arbitration, uh, they need to know that the decider understands what they're talking about the expertise and then finally in many of the hacking and the porting unauthorized porting cases you, you base it sad but you basically have very little ability to track the actual thief and to recover your losses from the person that stole so your or, or the group that stole whatever it was so you're necessarily going to be looking at other people or entities like service providers, like exchanges, to try to impose a kind of secondary liability. And it's difficult. Um, So it's not necessarily possible, but it's difficult. So those are, I think, some of the important (laughs) distinctions.
0: And then one thing, I guess I also wanted to to touch on uh, a lot of traditional financial disputes, FINRA or otherwise, I imagine are uh, maybe an an individual investor against like a brokerage house or a bank. Uh, But in the crypto world, uh, we're starting to see more partnerships uh, formed, if you will, um, uh, to uh, both uh, purchase uh, cryptocurrency as well as hold it. So you're going to have individual disputes uh, within partners in the partnership, uh, as well as the, the possibility of, of theft. One one member of the partnership takes the crypto out somehow and, and converts it. Are you seeing some of those types of cases?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think there's going to be sort of parallel um, cases in the crypto um, space in arbitration. Um, one track, if you will is going to be basically following in the footsteps of traditional financial disputes. So all of the kinds of disputes that you have ever seen in traditional finance, you're you're almost certainly going to see um, in crypto. But then the parallel track is it's a new, uh, development. It's an unsettled legal landscape. And so you're going to see things that, that are new, new, new types of disputes where it may not be that helpful to look to the traditional uh, financial disputes for precedent or for guidance.
0: Um, so I, I guess um, it, it leads into the next question. Is cryptocurrency a, a true currency or or more of a speculative investment vehicle? And I think that's definitely a, a matter up for debate. You're going to get a lot of different answers to that question. Sure.
1: Um, with, it, with an either or question like that, I, I think I'd like to say my answer is yes. Uh, but <laughs> let me explain. Um, a, a rudimentary definition of currency is a unit of exchange, which implies some level of acceptance and use And empirically, we see that various kinds of cryptocurrency are being used to buy, sell, and exchange things of value every day. That's a fact. So cryptocurrency, broadly defined, is real currency uh, in that sense. But I don't know how informative it is to stop the analysis or the discussion there. The other part of the question is whether it's a speculative investment vehicle. And uh, again, I want to emphasize, as you noted at the outset, you know we're not giving
0: financial advice or investment.
1: Right, we're financial advice here. Um, That said, is it spec? Is it a speculative investment vehicle? Well, it's certainly volatile. Um, If you look at the Bitcoin exchange traded fund as a proxy, the value of Bitcoin dropped from over sixty four thousand dollars. Uh, just over a year ago to less than $17,000 now, which is around a 75% decline in value. On the other hand, it also went from a value of about $3,200 in December 2018 to that $64,000 mark three years later. Um, So people invest in and, and bet on or against currencies every day, including some of the most sophisticated investors on earth, um, hedge funds, mutual funds, traders, the dollar, the ruble, and yes, the Bitcoin. Whether it's speculative is to some degree in the eye of the beholder. Clearly, it's much much more volatile than fiat currencies used by stable governments. And clearly, there is no um, you know tangible uh, uh, good or service underlying. Um, the that the, the market value of the currency like there would be for stock in a corporation, that's a growing concern. Um, but that doesn't mean that investing in all cryptocurrencies is, is just a pure crapshoot. Um, I think we're in the very early stages of cryptocurrency. My my crystal ball is is always cloudy, but I see a lot of volatility continuing in the future, possibly a narrowing. Of the crypto marketplace as uh, competition and efficiency uh, become more deeply rooted, but I don't see a wholesale disappearance of the concept. I, I really don't see any way that that happens. To be honest, I think it's here to stay.
0: And along those lines, you know, um, do you think that more traditional financial services corporations will enter the cryptocurrency exchange marketplace? And do you think if that happens? Um, I don't want to you, you say legitimacy, but do you think possibly the crypto markets might be stabilized more um and, and not have the wild swings in prices and things like that we kind of see now?
1: Well, we it's it's uh I think the volatility is going to continue. I think we've already seen um um the early stages of institutional investors. Um looking to the cryptocurrency sphere and putting real money, billions of dollars, um, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, collectively into that sphere. So that's already happened. Um, uh, and yet the, the space is, has shown that it's certainly not immune to market fluctuation and volatility. So whether the market is going to stabilize, I think cryptocurrency um, broadly defined I don't know that uh, we'll really see the end of tremendous volatility anytime in the near future, um, particularly because there are so many cryptocurrencies that are have uh, varying degrees of use and prevalence. Um, but it's it's an open question. That's one of the things that makes it interesting.
0: Yeah, I I mentioned because I. I, I saw the other day um, uh, Fidelity, for example, was uh, considering, um, or I think they're in the process of creating a, a cryptocurrency wallet system uh, for for Bitcoin and for Ethereum, I believe. And um, it's it's important to to note that people people think of of cryptocurrency as just Bitcoin, but there's there are, there are so many different coins out there. I mean, I honestly can't keep track of them all, um, but. Bitcoin and I think Ethereum, which I think are the two that they're going to allow to be held in their in their wallet, um, tend to be the the two major ones, and that's something that people are really talking about. Um, will um, will the smaller coins, the more volatile coins, um, kind of uh, disappear uh, into the background, and 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 really it'll be a, a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin and Ethereum kind of based system going forward. Um, or or will there will continue to be the Wild West um question for you though um if if more traditional financial services corporations do get involved in the cryptocurrency world then potentially some disputes might fall under finra or SEC guidance and things like that just based on the nature of the institution correct
1: absolutely and uh so for example uh, if somebody does end up having a, a dispute um over their cryptocurrency holdings with let's say a fidelity then it, there's certainly a, a, a strong possibility that that would be uh headed to arbitration overseen by FINRA
0: okay very good um so uh we'll briefly I guess discuss uh what happened at FTX and and do other cryptocurrency exchanges face similar risks obviously you know, anything you say, we're not going to accuse anybody of any wrongdoing or make any, any legal summations here. Um, but just based on what you know from what you've gleaned from, from the media and kind of the, the current situation, what's your understanding of what happened?
1: Yeah, um, FTX, uh, for the listeners that want um, uh, an explanation sort of from the ground up, um, FTX was one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, Its customers could trade their crypto for traditional money like dollars or for other forms of crypto or digital currency. At a very basic level, what the news reports are saying is that um, FTX was faced with a liquidity crunch where their custom, like a bank run, where during the Great Depression, people were lining up outside banks to pull their savings to get the hard cash rather than relying on a ledger at a bank that might fail. Um, FTX customers wanted to collectively withdraw huge amounts of their holdings. Um, FTX couldn't pay, and that, among other things, um, was part of a spiral that drove them uh, toward bankruptcy, according to the news reports. There's also an important component to the story having to do with um, Alameda Research, which was an investing firm that was owned by FTX's owner. Um, So in some ways could be seen as an affiliate of FTX, where Alameda's balance sheet revealed that a big portion of its holdings were a digital currency or token that was created by FTX and didn't necessarily have any either uh, intrinsic or even really uh, market value outside of FTX. And the the market for crypto got pummeled um, in recent months. I think part of that has to do with other economic factors. um, And and part of it, uh, no doubt, had to do with the size um, of the FTX fall. But in my view, I don't believe what happened speaks to a fundamental problem or an intrinsic deficiency. In cryptocurrency as a concept, um, it, you know that the, it's it's no different from I, I think anyway it's no different from a, a bank that would face um, similar or parallel allegations regarding its dealings and the the securities that it was holding um, to to back the its account holders' uh, monies um, and. If a bank collapses, um, generally, we don't say that it speaks to a, a fundamental problem in either capitalism or, you know, financial markets as a whole, although perhaps we might, uh, depending on, you know, uh, on the how broad it is. But, um, you know, to me, this is a case of what FTX was doing how FTX was handling its business affairs. Um, of course, it'll get sorted out in the bankruptcy and related um, forums. Um, but um, to me, again, it doesn't bespeak a, a, a tremendous conceptual um, deficiency or problem with cryptocurrency as a whole.
0: And I guess it's it's important to mention uh, for our, our arbitrators out there or, or folks interested in arbitration that... Uh, Bankruptcy acts as a stay to arbitration proceedings. So, essentially, um, uh, if, if somebody was considering filing an arbitration against FDX or something like that because they had some contract with them, um, it would be stayed uh, pending uh, the bankruptcy proceedings. Correct? Yeah, typically
1: that would be that would be correct with respect to a pre-existing arbitration. Um, uh, would likely be be stayed by the bankruptcy, and you could always ask the judge to let you proceed. Um, although um, I don't know what the likelihood of that would be, given the size and the scope of the of the bankruptcy now. Um, but uh, but yeah, it would it would also act typically as a stay against commencing new cases.
0: Do you feel the uh, what happened at FTX will open the door for? Um more traditional financial services companies to, to get into the market and to kind of differentiate themselves and say, Hey, maybe uh, you might, we, we we consider ourselves maybe a safer place to hold your, your crypto, whatnot.
1: Yeah. I think that part of what has co- had caused uh, the boom in this area is the vitality and the innovation um, in the, in the space where new products, um, new items literally things that had that never before existed were being created so non-fungible tokens being being one example of that um, as a sort of offshoot of uh, crypto um I, I i think that um th- there's just so much um innovation and so much um um novelty and and um intellectual capital being invested in this space that there is definitely room for somebody to come in and um, promote themselves as the, you know, the safe uh, place to um, store and invest your your cryptocurrency. Um, and I'm sure that that a more catchy version of that slogan probably already exists. but um, I, I think that just like any market, Whoever's in the vanguard, whoever is uh, filling niches and gaps in the marketplace, um, they're going to have an opportunity to be a leader. um, And that's where the capital is going to flow.
0: Now, you mentioned that obviously there's not a lot of court precedent uh, cases involving crypto, and it's a rapidly evolving technology. Um, And it's obviously rapidly evolving for attorneys that want to learn more about crypto and potential cases they might um, have uh, how did you uh, learn uh, about uh, cryptocurrency and and how it works and and for neutrals that are interested in in arbitrating or mediating cryptocurrency disputes what what resources would you recommend to them how can someone learn more about this
1: um, the way that I got involved was just hearing generally in in the news in the culture that this thing called cryptocurrency and and Bitcoin was on the rise. Um, I wanted to learn more about it. I started reading uh, magazine articles. I started looking up um, conferences, um, academic and professional conferences on the subject. Um, I I remember going to about six years ago, the one at, at Cornell tech, which is here in Manhattan. It was like a global cryptocurrency conference and trying to convince some friends to, to take a day or two off of work to go with me. And people said, I've heard of that stuff. I don't know, it seems uh, pretty shady or dubious, uh, but, but those conferences existed you know, back then and, and now they're more numerous than ever. So I you know go to the conferences. Uh, I, I also did uh, thinking that this was going to be um, a hot area and being an area of interest to me personally, I got a, a certificate. I took a, a class through um, the Global Cyber Institute and and uh, UCLA um, that once on cyber issues and matters relating to this um, um, area generally, and then started attending um, CLES and lectures on the topic myself. Um, and ultimately. Became um, a speaker at some of the programs. I've now been a moderator and a panelist on a number of, you know, speaking engagements and uh, lectures, um, on crypto and arbitration, blockchain and arbitration, and uh, and you know, eventually um, now I'm I'm getting quite a number of cases from AAA that relate to cryptocurrency disputes, blockchain disputes, and the like. So it's nice for me because I had sort of a a logical, I think, logical sequence of events with a vision of where I wanted to to take it that is more or less worked out or or is working out. But but for people that um, would like to get into the space, I would say, you know, figure out a plan. It's not enough to be interested in something and say, hey, you know, can I get where my case is, Um, right? That's not going to work. You need to make yourself into an expert or as close to an expert as is possible. And whether that is taking an online class or an in-person class getting some kind of credential or accreditation in the field. Um, it could be you know going to a series of lectures and speeches, uh, reading everything you can get your hands on, joining bar committees that uh, either touch on or focus on these areas, it, it's a process. So people looking for instant gratification um, to, to market themselves or hold themselves out as some kind of expert, but who don't have the credential, it's unlikely to happen. So I would say, uh, first and foremost, uh, figure out a plan that's actually feasible and that makes sense, um, and then execute.
0: Yeah, and I and I just like to say, as a as somebody who uh, manages some of the the larger crypto cases that we have here at AAA. Um, expertise matters and I can tell you uh, I've really scratched my head at some situations in the past where say it's a situation involving party appointed arbitrators where each of the respective parties um, chooses an arbitrator for a crypto case that's never done a crypto case and knows nothing about crypto and and you know they they simply chose this individual because maybe they've used them on past cases involving um, Different issues, or uh, and and they think they can learn the crypto on the fly, and it's not necessarily um, such an easy uh, hill to climb if you don't have really an experience or knowledge in the subject matter area. Yeah, it,
1: it reminds me very quickly. Uh, I think my first crypto arbitration, one of the counsel re- refer was uh, explaining a concept and then referred to something called gas, and I said, "What's that?" I, I, I thought she, maybe she misspoke. Uh, but she explained to me uh, a concept that I'm now you know, well familiar with, which is it's essentially that's the slang, if you will, or the jargon for um, transactional costs um, in, in an exchange of cryptocurrency. Um, and but after that, I was embarrassed, although I don't know how many arbitrators at that point that was some years ago would have been familiar with that <laughs> phrase. But I just determined that's never going to happen again. So right. I have to be a real expert, not uh, halfway there or something like that. So, it, it, yes, expertise, I think, is paramount.
0: And considering a lot of uh, arbitrators are, you know, retired attorneys and uh, retired judges that kind of are in the, the, the later years of their their legal careers. Um, you know, I don't want to uh, sound ageist or anything like that. I, I think you can learn. About crypto at any age, if you're if you're willing to put in the work to to do the research and and, and to to make yourself an expert, and uh, you know the advice you gave is the resources you provided, I think would be very valuable to arbitrators looking to get into uh, cryptocurrency disputes. All right, well that's um that's our time here. Is there anything else you'd like to add regarding uh, cryptocurrency before we finish?
1: No. Again, uh, thanks so much for for having me. And I you know just to recap, I think. To me, it's a fascinating area. It's certainly growing, perhaps growing explosively um, in terms of legal disputes. And I just think that so much intellectual capital is being invested and so much uh, intellectual force is being applied in this area that uh, it's certainly a, a marketplace that is here to stay, notwithstanding some serious volatility. So uh-huh. I, I think that um, it, it's not going away, and um, it, it certainly would be people who are interested to you know uh, start studying now um, if it if they want to enter into the space in one form or another.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Donnie, and um, I hope our our listeners are going to be researching crypto and learning more about it, and and just uh, learning everything that they can about how they can train themselves to handle these very unique type of uh, technology disputes, if you will. Technology and finance. I guess it's kind of on the edge of both, right?
1: Sure. And and privacy and and, and telecommunications, it's really, it's, uh, it's a hodgepodge. Um, and that just means uh, there's a lot of room for creative lawyering, which is also something that appeals to me, so it's okay. a fascinating area to be in. Thanks so much, Donnie. Thank you.